Hey everybody, Brad Stevens here, founder and CEO of Outsource Access. We help companies redefine how they scale with offshore affordable staff from the Philippines. Congrats to all fellow winners of the 2023 Real Leaders Impact Awards. We are proud to be among you. About 10 years ago, I woke up to a major growth problem in my last business. Cash was tight, staff was overwhelmed, and tasks were not getting done. Then I discovered the world of offshore virtual staff in the Philippines where English is their second language, so there is no communication or culture gap. I realized outsourcing wasn't just call centers, it was access to college-educated Filipinos to support sales, marketing, operations, customer service, bookkeeping, personal tasks, and more. And in fact, the first woman I hired in the Philippines at 23 is now an award-winning COO of our entire company. It inspired me to launch Outsource Access. One client and YPO member, Ali Jamal, shared their offshore virtual staff Edison automated processes and saved them over 50,000 per year in the first few weeks. It's about finally getting things done and staff focusing on higher value activities. We've grown by over 2,000% in just three and a half years and will double next year. To receive a complimentary outsourcing playbook customized for your industry and to connect with one of our team here at Outsource Access, just visit RedefineScale.com. That's RedefineScale.com or text the word SCALE to 770-954-8440. Two months after hiring my first staff, she sent me a picture of shoes she bought for low-income children because of the opportunity. And now we support thousands of families and the environment with United Nations SDG projects. I'm proud we've grown with impact. To learn more, visit RedefineScale.com. Boom, what up? Hello, bonjour, and hola, real leaders. This is Kevin Edwards, your host here, and I am so excited. You're tuning in to one of our amazing experiences. What you're about to hear is going to be fresh, real, and loaded with inspiration, guaranteed to support your impact journey. So sit back, enjoy the listen, folks share a review afterward, and always keep it real. Five, four, three, two, and one. Welcome everyone to this episode of the Real Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards, and joining us today, folks, we've got the CEO of Mighty Buildings. Please give a warm welcome to Mr. Scott Gebicki. Scott, how you doing today? I'm doing great, Kevin. How are you? I'm terrific. Now that I am with another fellow surfer, my friend, great to have uh, some people in the water on the show today. Now, Scott, question for you. You've got a pretty fascinating business going. For anyone that's listening out there, just type in mightybuildings.com and your brain is going to be blown. I mean, this is the future of buildings, of technology, and also, might I add, a way to sustain our planet. So, Scott, I want to start at the origin, really, how does how does your mind think? Tell me a little bit about your background and where you come from. So this is my fourth uh, fourth career and fourth job, and f- for me, this is a culmination of several several things. I started out as a Navy officer, um, spent seven years as a Navy officer, uh, spent seven years at at McKinsey, was junior partner at McKinsey. Um, then spent 11 years at a company called Jable. Um, at Jable, I ran the aerospace and defense and then the industrial group for, uh, for the last seven years I was there. Um, you know, and to me, the Mighty Buildings, coming to Mighty Buildings was about passion, right? And it was about passion for uh, having an impact, not only on a company, but on the world. 
Um, and, you know, if you look at the two main things that we're trying to address, one is the availability of housing and two is climate sustainability. Um, and, and those addressing those two things would be massive impact on the world. If you go one level beneath it, the complexity that you have to do to disrupt this construction industry is, um, is pretty amazing. You know, talking about new materials, uh, new way of construction, new way of delivery, um, it's just very complex and intense. And that's what I think drove me to want to kind of, you know, come to Mighty Buildings and have, have an impact. And, and so what were those early sketches of the business model that kind of came to your mind when you're thinking about, uh, hey, how, how are we going to get this off the ground? How are we actually going to build these things and take it to scale? Walk me through those original prototypes like what resonates with you when I ask you that question so the company's had several evolutions remember I've been here under a year so you know I'm, I'm you know came was brought in by the founders to kind of scale but the, the company started as a material science company so you know if you think about no one thinks about building houses and you start okay I'm going to start with chemistry right that's not the first thing you think about and, and the the company started from a material science um, and they wanted to innovate materials that were being used to replace things like concrete and, and things like that. Um, that evolved into an ADU, which uh, auxiliary dwelling unit. They're big in California. You're, you're aware of that, Kevin, because of the space constraints. And they built the world's first 3D printed ADU. And they sold a number of those and delivered a number of those. Um, that was impacted by COVID as well as complexity of actually delivering the ADUs. So about a year and a half ago, the company said, look, if we really want to change the world and, and, and affect things, we're going to have to move out of a small California ADU region to go global. And to go global, we're going to have to have a, um, or nationwide and then global, we're going to have to have a product which is uh, more modular and more scalable to different types of homes and different types of buildings. And so that pivot happened about a year and a half ago, and we're now building out, you know, fully our, our B2B model and B2B products. And so explain to me and the layman out there the difference between like a modular home and how most homes are built. So there's two different types of modular, right? Um, one is volumetric modular, and, and that's kind of how it sounds. Volumetric modular means, think of it like an RV. An entire home is built inside a factory. It's shipped somewhere and it's dropped, you know, into your backyard as an ADU, or they do this for hotels or dorms where mm -hmm. you stack a bunch of them on top of each other. So everything comes out of a factory, fully finished, you know, appliances, countertops, flooring, drywall, everything that house needs just got to be dropped and plugged in. Sure. That's volumetric modular. That's what Mighty Buildings ADUs were. Okay. The second is modular construction. And this means that you do a portion of the construction in a factory and a portion of the construction on site. Um, the best way I can describe that lay layperson is Legos, right? So, you know, you ship a bunch of Legos and a flat packed in a box, it comes, you put the Legos on and then you do traditional finishes. And that's what we're doing now with the B2B is we build panels inside our factory. You can see that on the website. Those panels are configured into a design, can be a custom design, can be one of our reference designs. They can be assembled on site in about five days and you know under roof. And then the rest of the house is finished. Someone comes in to do the drywall and the countertops and the flooring and the lighting and everything from that is pretty traditional. 
And, and I'd love to get into the environmental aspects a little bit later, but you know, the modular approach is interesting. I think cruise ships are kind of built that way. And if you could build Absolutely. those things, like those are floating cities, why not, you know, build mansions and huge buildings? I mean, tell me a little bit more about, you know, when you stepped in as CEO, what, what were some of the, the first things you absolutely wanted to make sure you got done? Think about change management. Like, What was the, yeah. the kind of the, the 30, 60, 90 for you? It's a great question. And one, what I mentioned earlier is it's a very complex business. Um, it, it shouldn't be, right? You have landowners and you have homeowners. So how do you get from land to a house that someone wants to live in? And everyone thinks that should be easy, but everyone that's experienced it knows it's incredibly complex, right? You deal with a bunch of different you know, designs and changes and ways of building and blah, blah, blah. So I really, the first thing I really wanted to do is understand where we were playing in complexity um, in the value chain. Um, the second thing is how competitive were we and what was our true competitive advantage? And you know, one of the things that I realized the company had been very confident around its sustainability and its modular standpoint, you know, from a competitive standpoint, mm -hmm. but hadn't really drawn into what I'll call resiliency and speed. So what we realized is this material is actually three to four times stronger than concrete. So for earthquakes, hurricanes, no mold, no insects, you know, data, 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 it's an extremely resilient product. Um, that means in certain markets like California, like Arizona, like Florida, like the Caribbean, places where climate change has caused more intense weather, this is this product is actually extremely well suited. So the first thing was to kind of really understand that. Um, and the second part of competition was the speed. Uh, one of the advantages we have is we can build a, you know, a house, a 1200 square foot house in two and a half days from a, from a shell standpoint and a, uh, a 3,300 square foot house in eight days. So, you know, and again, that's not, you can't move in after eight days. It's going right. to take another, you know, six weeks or so to finish it, but that's unheard of. So the speed of construction, especially in places where labor's constrained, um, uh, supply chains are constrained. You know, those are big competitive advantages. So one, you know, back to the change management, I wanted to make sure we were really doubling down on where we were competitive and where we could, where we could play. Um, you know, aside from that, just understanding the team, understanding the competencies of the team, understanding our footprint. Um, and, uh, you know, we have a uh, factory in Mexico, a lab in Turkey, uh, uh, headquarters in a, in a factory in Oakland, understanding how they played together. You know, do we have good processes, you know, kind of back to the second layer of enablers. Interesting. Um, and, and a question for you, Matt, or Scott, excuse me, is uh, like your end consumer, is it someone like me, potentially a first home buyer who's like, man, I want to save a little money also get a home that's resilient and um you know environmentally friendly and and you know build something from scratch or is it like help me understand is it is it the 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 person who wants to build an airbnb out in the desert you know what who is your end consumer yeah you know right now we're we're b2b so our direct customer mm -hmm. is going to be a developer um our model right now is, you know, the, the scale you get from building these, just like building Legos, is, you know, the first one's going to take a while. But if you built 10 in a row in, in three days, uh, you'd probably get really fast at, at building it. So we want to work with developers who can really double down on the speed. Um, now, who, the, who actually moves into those properties is a wide array of people. A number of the developers are targeting 
first home buyers in new markets that are more climate focused and more conscious on, um, you know, they want to travel, they want to do things like that. So they, they don't want, they want something you can turn the, turn the, lock the door, walk away and it comes back and it's there. You don't have to worry about a lot of maintenance, a lot of things like that. Um, you, we have a lot of our developers are doing build to rent properties. So your idea of, uh, of uh, you know, an ADU in the back, they could be building a number of ADUs for people, in-law suites, things like that. Um, or it's a large premium development where people are going to, you know, sell the homes for a million to $2 million. And they're looking for um, properties, for example, in Desert Hot Springs, where one of our, our properties is going for sale next week near Coachella. Um, Rancho Mirage in Palm Springs or places in Palm uh, uh, Palm Beach in Florida um, near equestrian centers where they're looking for, you know, premium rentals that rent for five to $6,000 a week or sorry, a month. So if I'm hearing you right, developers purchasing the modular, you know, the homes, they're designing it, but then they're putting in, they're building the rest. Correct. For Okay. Got it. That makes a lot more sense. Um, I'm, I'm curious too, from the sustainability aspect as well, um, you know, how, how did the founders and, and really yourself think about, um, you know, incorporating sustainability still at a low cost? I mean, what was kind of the thinking and how is it um, better for the environment, but also better for your bottom line? Yeah, it's, that's always a trade-off. That's, that's a challenge, right? Um, mm -hmm. So our, our material is, you know, the embodied carbon in our material is, you know, our target was to be less, more sustainable than concrete. Concrete is the, you know, used in 95% around the world. Um, you know, I make, always make the joke, you know, if, you know, your family and my family 150 years ago could go into the woods and build a log cabin in three or four months, right? That's probably the most sustainable product you can get, right? It's built with human power, you know, um, there. We don't, we're not really in that world anymore, right? So, you know, if you compare this to pure stick built house, it's going to be less sustainable. You know, car, you know, wood tends to be a very sustainable product, but it's a finite resource. Um, we wanted to target concrete. Our first uh, iteration was a little bit more expensive than concrete, but um, but more sustainable. Our second iteration is going to be, you know, fifteen to twenty percent cheaper than concrete and fifteen to twenty percent more sustainable. Uh, our third iteration, where we're targeting de like desert sand or synthetic limestone using another filler, truly, you know, sustainable, is, should be eighty to ninety percent more sustainable than concrete. So, you know, the target is concrete. How do we how do we kind of displace concrete? Uses a lot of water, unsustainable. That's where our synthetic stone kind of Loomis concept came from. And talk to me about this printer. I mean, how big is it? Um, what are some challenges that maybe you face in your your experience now at the company with this printer? Yep. I mean, if, if if it has a hiccup, I mean, is the whole thing shot? I mean, tell me a little bit more about your experience with this uh, new technology. Yeah, and I'm, and, I'll, and I'll add something just to. For the listeners, you know, most people think about 3D printing of homes, and, and there's been a lot of press about these concrete 3D printed houses on site, right? Um, that's not us. Um, we print in a factory. It's 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 very different. Like you said, like you said, it's on the website, it's clear, but we build the concrete or, or the synthetic stone panels inside our factories that are then shipped to the site. So our printers aren't nearly as big as you need to be on site. I also think there's a massive disadvantage from being on site. Um, you're susceptible to weather. There's a lot of setup times and costs. And I think that's that's a different business model. And I think they'll struggle. 
But for us in a factory, our, our printers are around 14 feet high and 10 feet wide. Um, we aim to print panels. You know, our largest functional area that we use is about six by 12. So six feet by 12 feet high. It's, it's big. It's good size. Um, and one of the most complexities, remember, we design our own printers and we build our own printers. So we not only have proprietary materials, we have proprietary printers. The real uh, key of the printer is UV curing. So we actually cure the material with UV light as it's being printed. And if you imagine that's how it doesn't crumble on itself. So when you print layer, then it's cured, layer, another layer, it's cured, another layer, it's cured. So it's cured while it's printing. Hmm. And that UV curing allows us to kind of continue to kind of build up very quickly. Um, the challenges we have are with the UV curing and with the curing of the printer. If, if atmospheric things change and we haven't uh, maintained our quality control, which took us a little bit to learn, um, you ruin a panel halfway up and you kind of got to recycle it or scrap it or something like that. So it, it, it's, you have to have your quality system dialed in. You have to stay, you know, with the temperatures, the UV lights, everything like that. You know, that's where it gets complex. And Scott, talk to me a little bit more about just leadership for here for a moment. You know, um, how would, I think, uh, like, do you think others would describe like your leadership style? Um, and what are you currently focused on? Um, so my, my style, I think, uh, direct, I don't really know another way to be. And, and I, and I think that has a positive and a negative element of it. Um, empowering, uh, I, I believe, and I learned this in the military, um, there's, a, there's a concept in the Navy called command by negation, meaning, you know, as long as you're, as long as your team tells you what they're doing and you don't stop them, that's what they should do. Um, so waiting around for permission is not how I operate. I, I think it's slow and it's tedious. I'd rather have people around me empowered. Um, and, and the third thing is by transparency, right? I believe that, uh, again, I expect people to tell me what they're doing and I expect to tell people what I'm doing and what I'm thinking and how, how, it, how it, go, how it goes. So, um, I would hope that's how I'm described and, um, you know, that's how I like to build my teams. And think about the role of a CEO. It's a very unique position in this world. Um, you know, what, what is the current burning question that's really keeping you up at night right now? I have a lot of, a lot of questions about the macro environment and how our product fits, you know, the uncertainty around the housing market in a lot of places, you know, the cost of financing and construction. Um, you know, can we fit and disrupt with a new product in a market that is being, you know, disrupted by 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 macro finances? That that's what keeps me up. Um, and the derivative of that is, can our product actually deliver at the lower cost? You know, our next generation product being launched now at a lower cost to really enable the the market and the margins that we need. Scott, if you had a pie chart thinking about your time, how you spend it, where do you think you end up? Where do you think you spend most of your time? I, I'd like to, I, I like to spend at least 20% of my time with my team um, and kind of whatever's on their mind, let their, let their needs drive my time there. Um, 30 to 40% of my time with customers and working with business development, you know, I directly kind of work a lot with that, with our, with our BD team. Um, then I spend another 20% on people 
on top of that, uh, you know, making sure we have the right people and the right um, the right uh, organization and and compensation and incentives and everything like that, which has been is always a challenge everywhere. And I spend about fifteen percent of my time on operations and operational scale and supply chain. And I think about you know ops ops people tend to be very maniacal, very detailed, but they're focused on the next ninety days. I feel it's my job to kind of break that into what does the next year and a half look like, right? How do we create a, a path and operations and supply chain? And Scott, in all of this, what is your definition of a real leader? So I talked a little bit about it, Kevin, but to me, number one, first and foremost, you have to be a thought partner, right? Um, thought partner who is willing to take decisions and willing to help shape problems with your team when they're lost and to get into the details, right? Um, and to know when to do one, one of those three. So the thought partner is number one. Um, empowerment's number two. Um, your team has to know that you have their back on their decisions and that they can make decisions quickly and without your approval constantly. And too many people in today's world are not empowered. Um, I, that's the downfall of this, you know, constant communication. You know, people think they constantly mm. want to communicate. Um, I think it's. I think you have to empower your team. And the third is transparency. And and this is probably one I always need to work on. You know, people, you know, you don't need to live stream your life, but at the same token, if you're thinking about something and thinking deeply about something in the back of your mind, you need to inform your team and your members that you're thinking about it, you've got it, and you'll and you'll bring it to their attention. Um, if you disagree with some, something, you got to say it. If you agree with something, you got to say it. There's this transparency, and if you if you don't if you're not transparent, it just creates so much confusion. So yeah, thought partnership, empowerment, and transparency to me is are the three. Well said. And for Scott Gabicki, I'm Kevin Edwards asking you to go out there, be a thought partner, build autonomy, have transparency, and always keep it real. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Kevin. Appreciate it. Hey, Releaders, thanks again for listening to this amazing episode. And if you're someone like me who goes all the way to the end just to make sure I can extract as much information, education, and inspiration out of every single interview, might I suggest you check out our magazine. If you go online to Releaders.com today, you're going to get the first 30 days for free where you're going to be able to access all of our magazines courses, and live events from some of the top thought leaders around the world. All you have to do is go online to realleaders.com and click the subscribe button in the top right corner to get your free 30-day trial right now. Again, that's real-leaders.com. Thanks again for being a real leader and always keep it real.